Welcome to Behind the Edit, a podcast that peeks behind the scenes and discusses the unexpected and often very personal victories, stumbles and detours on a path to building a creative brand and business. I'm your host, Christine Mankies, creative pioneer, award-winning photographer, founder of The Pretty Blog, editor, visual storyteller, problem solver, recovering workaholic, mom and dynamic dot connector. Over the next few months, I'll be sitting down with South African multifaceted designers and entrepreneurs to uncover their unique and at times zigzag journeys to build what seems like a perfectly edited brand. Today's guest describes herself as a global citizen. Born in Zimbabwe and raised in Cape Town, she's been an insider-outsider for most of her life, an experience that has shaped her not only as a human being, but as a businesswoman in the African landscape. Starting with a humble market stall in the Hart Bay Harbour, she literally turned an accessory stand into a successful export business overnight. Meet creative entrepreneur Tamburai Charume, the managing director and co-founder of One of Each, a mother and daughter fashion and accessory brand based in Cape Town, South Africa. Under the leadership of Tamburai, One of Each has grown into an internationally recognized brand currently supplying more than 10 outlets worldwide, including the George Washington University Textile Museum. Besides being the business brain behind one of each, Tamburai also champions two programs that train, equip, and empower individuals. Observing Tamburai's tenacity firsthand, it's clear that she was born to forge new and successful pathways wherever she goes. Welcome to Behind the Edits, Tamarai. We are so excited to have you in studio today. Since our conversation on the phone, I've been so inspired by your story. And a friend of mine actually recommended you. And I went onto your website and I was in awe about the beautiful products that I saw created here in Cape Town by All Women Company, one of each. So welcome to Behind the Edit today, and I'm so curious to hear more about this mom-daughter duo and the partnership that you have with your mom. Please tell us more about that. Thank you. Thank you for having me here today. I'm really excited. And yeah, thank you for opening up the space to have this conversation. We moved from Zimbabwe to Cape Town when I was five years old. My mom had started a very successful fashion business in Zimbabwe, which was doing really well at that time. And my dad got an opportunity to move to Cape Town to start a travel agency. And obviously, as a woman, my mom was in quite a difficult situation where she had to, you know, choose between her marriage or her business. (laughs) And of course, she chose raising her children and coming down to Cape Town with my dad. But that meant leaving her um, very successful fashion business. And, you know, while I was growing up, I just really was always watching my mom having that desire of fulfilling that thing that she had left behind. So it bothered me, you know, it really bothered me as a child. I just always felt that like, I can only describe it now, but I felt that she has pretty much given up her career to raise me and my brothers. So what does that mean? Like, this can't be okay, you know? And within that process, she was still very creative. She still really made beautiful items. She didn't stop. But because of the time that we came to Cape Town, it was just post-apartheid. We were living in Seapoint at that time. And there was just no way she was going to be a black woman in Cape Town 
with a successful fashion business. And yeah, so the challenges of being a migrant, a, 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 you know, an immigrant from a different a country, um, raising small children. She was 32 or 33, that's pretty young. But her idea was that she would probably just start the business the same way she did it in Zimbabwe. But it wasn't like that. So growing up, I just knew that, you know, I really want to do something about it. During Varsity, I was always that girl who would come back from Cape Town after school holidays with like a suitcase full of beautiful dresses, which my mom had made. And I was known as the girl on the 11th floor that sells stuff. Hence, <laughs> I didn't literally complete the law degree that I'd gone there for because I was busy selling stuff. You know, so the entrepreneur gene has always been in me from a very young age. I don't know if you remember the time when people did these doilies. Yes, so, I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my, my grandmother's generation were the generation of women who would bring those doilies from Zimbabwe. And these women, like, raised families selling these doilies. And if I look at it now, it's literally export. And that's what we're doing today. We're exporting, but it just seems more formal now. But that is what they were doing. So my mom got her courage from my grandmother, who just told her that you can do it. Yes, you're in a foreign country, but just start selling items. And when I started working in banking after varsity, I realized that I've got people around me who believe in me. Although working in corporate was not easy, I was always the youngest. I was the only black woman in my team of like 40 people. But I worked with really good people who really saw the creativity in me, who really saw the entrepreneur spirit in me. And that gave me the courage. Three years into my banking career, I started one of each with my mom. And how it happened is that I got home and my mom had made this bag with offcuts of leather and fabrics. And because, like I said, I've got the entrepreneur gene within me, I was like, we're not making any more things. We're going to sell these bags. And that was it. And we're here today. <laughs> well, that's an amazing story. I'm very curious to hear your take on this idea of partnership. I think a lot of entrepreneurs have questions about partnership. And you might come across someone that you feel this could be someone that I could build a business with. Or I have some ideas and they have some ideas and our strengths could be really good together. And I think... Um, in your business, it's not just a partnership, but it's with your mom, <laughs> which also brings in the dynamic of family. And working alongside my husband for many years as well with many projects that we've been involved with together, a lot of people always ask me, how do you actually do that? And it works for some, it doesn't work for everyone. Mm. So I'm curious to hear your take on family and business and partnership in general. Okay, so you speak of stories and you speak of a brand story. We didn't know we had a brand story, that our journey is a story until, you know, people started writing about us. People started to find it fascinating that you're a mother and a daughter. People asking us questions that we never anticipated, like, how do you work with your mom? But not in a way to say, oh, how do you work together? But more like family, how do you work together? Mother and daughter, that's, you know, like I would never work with my mom. You know, these are the type of comments that we would get. And that's how our brand story was built. The brand story was not built by us. It was built by the outsiders and other people identifying this. So my mom and I have just always had the same intentions. I think we've got very much of the same heart. Helping other people is crucial within who we are and our DNA. And I think that's what made it easy to work together. I love that. I think the element of trust. 
especially coming from her, because I think sometimes it's difficult for mothers to maybe trust their daughters. But my mom really trusts me. She knows that the intentions I have, I guess it comes from that brand story of the whole childhood thing and me just wanting her to find and see the greatness in her, you mm. know. And, you know, we've worked really well together. We don't have any stories of conflict or anything of that nature. I think it's also because of how my mom has always viewed me. As a child, she never spoke to me as a child. My mom has always been transparent to me. So I think it has always made the relationship easy. And we also didn't sit down and say, okay, here's a contract of we're business partners. It really happened authentically. It happened because we just see that we have the ability to do something great together. And our roles are very defined. And I think we've gotten to this stage because of the fact that we have the same eye and the same vision and sometimes we'll text each other the same things at the same time oh wow you know so it's so <laughs> it's really strange <laughs> it sounds like you value the same things but that you also have a, a mutual respect for each other so you mentioned that your roles are quite defined now for people more interested in kind of partnerships and also I think teams that's something that's been difficult for me to navigate and to learn is different personalities, you know, decision-making, how people respond to stress. I mean, you cannot run a business without some form of stress, no matter how good you are in managing it. So I'm curious to understand the relationship between you and your mom in the business, those defined roles. So what are you responsible for? And what is she responsible for on a day-to-day basis? So how our roles are defined is that my mom is purely the creative My mom does not touch admin. (laughs) My mom is quite an introvert in her working environment, so she doesn't deal with clients. Whereas I really love talking to people. Um, My mom is very unapologetic about who she is. So for instance, like language, we've been here for nearly 30 years. My mom is unable to speak any of the local languages. My mom does not like speaking English. (laughs) So she's really true to who she is. And I think that has helped us because... I'm the one who deals with the clients and yet my mom is the one who really is in the creative process of creating items. Growing up, I always thought I wanted to be a designer because I just saw my mom doing that. But then I realized that I'm an entrepreneur, like I'm a business person, like I'm a seller, I'm a marketer. I understand what needs to be done for a business to work. But the challenges have come with age. My mom is also getting a little bit older and her interests have kind of shifted So her interests now lie in passing on her knowledge, which brings about like a training program that we have. Now she's not really interested in product design. So as the business grows, we all evolve. But there's also always been understanding within it. Her understanding how I've shifted as a person or me understanding how she's shifted as a person. She's now teaching younger girls in underserved communities how to do what we actually do which I believe is pivotal. It's so important right now. Mm. And I've got to support her within that. Yet she supports me in building that. So I think every journey has got its own challenges. But how do you support each other within that challenge, I think has been the most important thing. You sound like the perfect pair. It sounds like you We're guys not, really... <laughs> not no, the perfect not, pair. <laughs> not, not, maybe not the perfect pair, but that you work well together you know you dance on the same rhythm which is maybe more the words Mm. I think the fact that your mom has moved and transitioned into wanting to hand over the knowledge to other people I think that is also something to look up to because I think in starting out a brand starting out a business there's many times I've seen 
people hold on to their knowledge. Mm. They don't want to share it. They're scared. There's some fear that holds them from giving it over to other people. And I, th- I would love you to expand on this program that you guys have. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very interesting how the dots really connect because as I was also growing up in Cape Town, I saw the things that made this place different in a positive light, but also there are a lot of missing pieces. I've always searched for diversity. I've always felt that there are voices that are not heard in our city in terms of people of color being represented and especially within the creative industries. And I think this is very unique to Cape Town when we look at South Africa, because in Joburg, the creatives of color are there, they're standing up, they're present, Mm. they are contributing to the economy. But for me, I've always felt that in Cape Town, why do I have to be one out of, I don't know how many black businesses that are thriving, that are exporting internationally, that are professional, that have got beautiful products? It's not because my other black sisters don't want to do this. It's just that sometimes there's a know-how. And I think being an immigrant is so strong because you learn to be an individual, but you also learn to work as a team. But you spend a lot of time in your life observing things. So I felt that over time I was always watching, watching my black friends, watching my white friends, watching my Afrikaans friends, my European friends. And that has helped me have a very holistic role of life, which has then contributed to my business being able to be what it is today. And the training has come about because I've always felt that I'm so tired of just being the only one in a room of 10. I really think that the diversity aspect from a creative business perspective is really, really important. We need to see more young women of color wanting to pursue a career of starting their own business without having so much fear and also without having that idea of, I need money to start this because we started our business with literally nothing. And also not always thinking that I need to be in in the banking or the corporate world. That's generally what a black young girl from Kailicha thinks that, you know, I should be a doctor or a nurse or I should be a banker. But if your grandmother is a beader, why can't you learn from your grandmother how to establish a business and create a legacy for the future that's there to come? We've got two training programs. So I've got one which is called the Business of Creative Entrepreneurship, which is in partnership with the U.S. Consulate of Cape Town. And that really takes women on a diverse program of how to build a sustainable creative business, but also a profitable business. Because Mm. we do realize that a lot of our creatives, regardless of their background, are creating products, but they don't have money in their pocket. How do we change that, right? And then the second one is called Learn Make Sew through a brand called Colors of a Kind. And Colors of a Kind is a German-based brand and they're also a Cape Town non-profit company. And we basically do the training for young girls that are under the age of 35 of how to construct a garment and then ultimately place these girls in jobs in creative companies. So that's the business side and then we've got the creative side. Um, of the two programs. How do people get more information about these programs? Mm -hmm. If they know of anyone, Mm -hmm. tell us a bit more about that. Okay, so the BCE program actually has its own website. It's bceafrica.com. And then the Colors of a Kind is colorsofakindnpc.org. Or on our website, if you go on About, you'll Mm -hmm. actually see the video of what we've done in the past. And 
this year we would have trained about 60 women in total since oh. 2019. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's part of purpose because if you see a need, I think if you can, it's important to try and make the difference in contributing to what you see is unjust in mm. ways that make sense and you're not just saying that this is unfair or this is not done properly. How do you then, even if you contribute to three people finding jobs in the creative sector or whatever, but you've done just a little bit and it makes a difference in someone's life. I think the action behind the thought, that for me is very powerful. And I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas. They want to contribute or they want to start a business uh, before they can start contributing. What is your take on, like, a lot of people ask how do I start a business? You also touched now on a lot of women, and we can include the men. Yes, of course. <laughs> Let's just include everyone. Yeah. You know, they have these ideas of, I have an idea or I've learned a skill. And I think especially within the creative industry, it's it's very tough to have a skill set and not necessarily have someone from your family having financial background or marketing background. And I think it's very easy to sit back and almost have excuses to say, you know, but I don't have money to start a business. Like you've touched on, you guys didn't start with any seed capital, as far as I understand. What is your take on that? And how do you kind of almost want to say encourage someone to say, you know what, you actually just have to start? How can they process that thought process and channel it in something positive? Hmm. I think like what you just said, you just have to start. If you see there's a gap in that market or you see that you have the ability to do this. You really have to not... I think a lot of us out there are perfectionists. We actually underestimate how people want to do things properly. They don't just want to do something that's half-baked. My mentor actually said to me the other day that you're a perfectionist and you just have to do certain things and not do too much calculating. <laughs> so I'd give that very same advice that you have to... You know, you have to also engage with people. We don't talk sometimes because of the, the vulnerability and we think, okay, what are people going to think and all. But I think it's important to ask for help. I've always been bad at asking people to help me with certain things, which you learn along the way. But I'd really, the advice that I'd give, especially now, and being in a country like South Africa, I think people underestimate the amount of openness and support that exists in this country for young people especially, or people who want to start their own businesses, regardless of whether they're male or female. I mean, I've been to a lot of countries in the world and there is just no support if you want to start a business, you know, or there's very minimal support, especially in, in other countries within the African continent. So this is a time for one to be able to thrive, to start something new, but also start something that's quite unique. Start something that has a purpose because people can see right through what you're doing. And that's one of the things that I've learned in our journey that we're not creating something that's so much different to other people, but people see what is the intention behind what we're doing. And that's why they support us. Yeah, definitely. Know. I think a big part in a lot of businesses that have been growing the past five to 10 years, we've also seen there's definitely authenticity that shines through. And I think that also builds the community that supports you. And probably you've seen that in the women that actually buy your products. So I want to go back to the early years. Let's just step back into that start of one of each. You mentioned your mom made the bag. What was the unfolding of that story and starting to actually produce and market the product? And what were your actual steps? Like, how did you, how did you guys go about it? Oh, very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, in the beginning, if I think of it, it was extremely exciting 
We have got a story of start with nothing and turn into something. So I'll mention this because I mention it all the time. And I think it helps people that want to start to start thinking differently. So we started the business with 1,500 Rand in 2014. In the year 2015, we had turned over in numbers 1.5 million Rand. Wow. <laughs> but it was just because it, we focused on one product that we put in so much work in terms of making it like really quality, attracting a market that would realize that this is something really simple, but it's made really well and I want one. So everybody wanted one. But it was really hectic, I must say, having started the business while working. So we... You were, you were still in banking. I was still in banking. And it was just hectic. We grew really, really quickly. And 2014... We used to be available at Hard Bay, Bay Harbor Market. And I would finish work at four o'clock and then need to go and set up at Bay Harbor Market. And we'd finish at like 10. That means I'd be driving from Hard Bay to the northern suburbs in Tiger Valley. So you can imagine that <laughs> it was just really crazy. And then wake up in the morning again and go to Hard Bay. But it was just so good because locals and tourists were really interested in the product. And we became an export business overnight. We never had to knock on any doors to supply any stores. We just had incoming business. But I think working while running the business really helped me. It sounds very strange, but it helped me manage my time because I knew I had limited time. It helped me do things correctly because I saw what I was doing at the bank and I was like, this is a really basic concept of a corporate, but what do they do differently that I can't implement in a creative business? So I literally just took the thought processes we used in the bank to run a creative company. Wow. <laughs> so it worked in that sense because I think structure is important for creative businesses to be able to say, what are the processes? And I think that is what helped us to be able to turn over such a good amount of money in such a short space of time because we were so conscious of everything that we were doing. Oh, wow. I just want to jump to that market because this, mm. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, time jumps out of the corporate suit <laughs> into the comfy clothes, packs the car, there she goes. Were you selling at the market and your mom was producing? Yes. So basically, we started off in my dad's office at home at my parents' house and all of a sudden there was just like leather pieces and like things everywhere that we were moved out of the <laughs> physically needed to move out because it was just too much. And then, you know, that's why the, I feel the creative industry is also so beautiful because someone said to us, are you looking for studio space? And then we got a space where we shared with other local brands and that just made things more doable. But like you're saying, you're imagining what it was like. <laughs> you have no idea. It was just... It was really crazy. Like, yeah, I would have to like leave work at four o'clock, change into more casual clothes, get there, set up, do what I needed to do. But this is where people can be so powerful because I met this one woman at the market and she said to me, I see you here every day. And just she knew that I'd drive all the way to Tiger Valley. And she introduced me to this one woman who then started working at the Heart Bay store for us and run the whole store there, which obviously allowed me more time. And that young woman was with us for like five years. She's now grown and she's working in a different company, but we're still in contact with her. So yeah, I think we've also had really great success stories in terms of the people that have worked for us 
that haven't been able to grow in our company because our company obviously is a small business, but who have gone on to other businesses and have managed to pursue their dreams. So at the market, Mm -hmm. I'm jumping back to this market. I have this picture in my mind and I'm thinking you guys are turning over like millions, but you're at a stall. (laughs) Did you sell all the product there? You were mentioning the export. I'm assuming you're referring to internationals visiting the market, taking the product abroad. Or were you guys in any brick-and-mortar stores at the time, or was that the pure distribution from there? Yeah, so Hard Bay was obviously on weekends, and then we got an opportunity to be at the watershed. So the watershed, if you speak to any brand that has been there since inception, they'll tell you that 2015 and 2016 were great years. That was when the market has just started. So basically those were our two main places where people could find us. We didn't really have an online store. We just had a website at that time. But it was very, very busy and people started knowing us. And you get some buyers who come through to South Africa like annually, like during December time and all, and they would just purchase from us. We got great leads just from a market setup. You should never underestimate a table where there's so many people and you're just selling items. Because sometimes people look at the market setup and they're just like, no, I'm not sitting behind the table type of thing. But the ability to engage with people, like, I mean, at Hot Bay, I'll say this to you openly, that on a Friday night, I could sell like 10,000 rand. But no one would ever imagine that that could happen behind a table and there's just like a couple of bags. So it's also about mindset. And also for me, I was used to seeing people like my grandmother coming from Zimbabwe with like these doilies in a suitcase. So the market setup was not new to me. So I think it's also about the perceptions that we have and what do we think of places like markets. You really harnessed what you had and you used that to your strength. Mm. I love what you said and I totally agree with that, that just to have a place or an environment that actually starts creating conversation. Mm. Because as you mentioned, like people have played a huge part in the journey of one of each and really exporting not just purely the product, but from what I've read and from what I've seen, you are literally all over the world. And people are taking that story for you to all the countries. So tell us a bit more about taking the South African Cape Town-based brand and product and how it has just evolved to kind of be all over the world. You guys are stocked and I can't even remember how many stores. Tell us a bit more about that journey. So our journey to exporting actually really started at the markets because obviously Hard Bay and Watershed are two places which are very tourist-based. And sometimes we forget that a tourist is just not here on holiday. There are also people that are in business in their countries. So they are here looking at different things and that network of you may be knowing a buyer in New York, but you're not necessarily a buyer. But me, as someone who's behind the table selling these bags, being able to connect with that person, I think that has also been one of the key things of how we've gotten towards exporting, giving people time behind that table, which can be very exhausting, you know. But we then started doing trade shows. So we started going to places like um, New York now. We've done some trade shows in Japan and a lot of different countries. And I think those trade shows have been really good for us because people actually really then see the business. You conversate with them like one-on-one. But beyond the trade show, we would then have pop-ups. So I've done like pop-ups in West Elm in New York, which is a big home decor store, which they just give local brands. A table. The export journey has been establishing relationships with people that are outside 
of Cape Town. Okay. But then also in 2017, I got an opportunity with the U.S. Consulate of South Africa to go on a woman entrepreneurs program, which is called the African Women Entrepreneurs Program. And that literally changed my life because I met 24 women from 24 African countries and we were all together in the U.S. going to different states to get a different view of the U.S. Like, People have perceptions of America and how it is. And I also did. I was just like, I don't like America, you know. But we managed to see the difference in the different states. We got to meet like people in business there who run similar businesses that we do and engage about different challenges that they have that are maybe similar to ours or, or different to ours. And that really made a change for the business because, you know, I built the networks and New York especially is like the place where we sell most of our products. Um, and 80% of our business actually comes from the US. So, yeah, I think it also happened authentically in a sense where, the story has been very strong. It's not necessarily about the fact that the products are beautiful, but people have just really resonated with what we're doing, how we're doing it, what the purpose is. Amazing. Inviting them into our space has also been really good. When they're around, I've always said, come to our studio and see how we make the items. And people appreciate it when you connect with them. There's just so much power in that. And sometimes as entrepreneurs, we find it exhausting. We find people daunting and all that. But you have no idea what you're doing more than just selling that bag. A lot of people don't have places to outlet what's going on in their lives. And sometimes as product providers, we become that platform and you have to step up to it if you can. You know, it has the ability to make your business profitable because you're genuinely giving people time to talk to you. I'm so, so inspired as I'm, I'm listening here. I'm like, please, can this conversation not end? <laughs> I would love to understand how many people you currently have in your team and what does that look like? Because you guys are all over the world, mostly selling in the US. And how many people are behind this? What does the behind the scenes from a people point of view look like? We are five in the studio and then one lady at the watershed. So it's myself, my mom, Margaret, who does like the operations and studio management and some production management, which is quite a big role. And then we have a senior machinist and then a junior machinist who we've recently hired from the training program. So that's the main one of each team. And then, of course, outsourcing a few things like accounting and all that type of stuff. So the main team is five and we're an all-woman team. And we just want to keep on growing the team taking from our, the people that we've trained for them to be able to grow and see that there is possibilities to have a nice job in a small company because that's never been what it is. Everyone has always wanted to work in big companies, not realizing that most of the time, smaller companies pay way above minimum wage as well. We're trying to create that environment where it's nurtured, where women are able to speak about things. We provide healthcare for our staff. I'm really happy to say this because it's not something that's easy to do, but it's something that we felt that if we say we're an all-woman company, what does that mean? As women, we face issues of like health and that type of thing, but how do we incorporate such things into our system and say that we are creating the environment we say we do? I think healthcare is, in general, a huge topic. It and is. I think benefits by implication, like just employing people and all of that. And do you give people benefits, don't you? What does it look like, et cetera? And I think healthcare in South Africa specifically is an amazing thing if you can offer that to people. 
maybe off mic, <laughs> we can have a conversation just in terms of healthcare providers, you know, because I think that's also something a lot of people wonder about. But I want to jump into your aha moment, moments in your company where you feel really proud, things that have just stood out for you and things that make you tick and they make you feel happy about I'm involved with something that I wake up and I want to do this every single day or is it not always like that? <laughs> it's definitely not always like that. <laughs> yeah, but there have been those great moments and I remember them in detail. So in 2019, I was invited by Facebook um, wow. to speak in Dublin about the work that we've been doing with women, the training program, like, you know, starting off as a very small business. And for me, it was like, why are you inviting me? I do not have 500,000 followers. <laughs> but it was just interesting that they really wanted to talk about growing an organic following because obviously they have got the methodologies to see who's following you and how the engagement is. And also their key thing was like, you've responded to nearly every single comment that someone has commented on. And for them, that was really like shocking because most brands don't do it. And they really wanted a brand in Africa to give perspective. So I was on a stage talking to 7,000 people in Dublin about one of each. So for me, that was just like mind blowing. And it was just such a great conversation to have. It was a beautiful experience. Wow. And in the second moment is when I started training with the business of creative entrepreneurship, as well as the Learn Make So program, it's just made me realize that it's overwhelming that I am reaching 35 and I found my purpose in life. I strongly believe that I know what I've been called here for from a spiritual perspective and I'm comfortable with it. As difficult as it, it can be sometimes, there are moments when I wake up and I'm like, oh, yeah, not easy, difficult, challenging, especially when you've got a lot of people under your wing in terms of you being that support structure. And also some of the issues that we deal with in terms of coming from the communities, like some of these young girls are coming from Kailicha, um, Filippi, and we have no idea. We have no idea how they are experiencing life. But to sit there and also watch my mom give them wisdom and give them an understanding and a perspective of how sometimes they think life should be and how one can navigate life is just sometimes they just need that mother and my mom's become their mother. Sometimes they need an older sister and I strongly believe I am their older sister. And it's just magical, you know, when in the morning we have a motivation of the day and then that allows them to share their stories. And it also just helps you understand that teaching is not just teaching how to make, but there needs to be a holistic approach when it comes to education. You cannot be admitted at university without there being an understanding of the things that have happened in your life. So those things affect people's learning. But how do we build holistic learning environments for people to be able to feel comfortable and release the things that they've gone through in their life? So for me, that's been really, really powerful. And yeah, I just hope God can give me more strength to be able to continue this because it's actually not easy as well. That is really beautiful. I'm curious to know more about the success stories that have come out of the training. Just tell us one or two that stand out. Okay, so the first one actually happened like two weeks ago 
we placed one of our girls into actually one of the top South African creative companies. I can't name it, <laughs> but she's working for a brand um, and she's producing for them as a wow. junior machinist. But, you know, they're paying her quite a nice wage and that's just really nice. And it's a brand that I like. It's a brand that I believe will look after her and help her grow. We've also had one of the girls work for the Fashini Group. That's one of the the bigger corporate sort of companies. One of the girls has been shortlisted to go on a program. It's called the Community Colleges Program under the U.S. Consulate's wing. So they go to America for like two years and they get to be placed in a community college where they learn a subject of their choice. Um, And it's all funded and it's, you know, they don't need to put money behind it. So for us, it's just seeing them being able to become financially independent because that makes a difference in everybody's life. To have stress and not be able to buy a loaf of bread is different to having stress and being able to buy yourself a custard donut, you know what I mean? So we just want those girls to just find jobs or be able to earn something because there's something attached to being able to go into a shop and purchase something for yourself. self-worth, like mm. just building up that self-worth. Yeah, so I think job placements has been like, I think the major success stories for us or anything of like personal development. Um, yeah, and we just hope that if there are any other creative brands out there that need great people, we're going to be your go-to place. <laughs> we want to be that because of the fact that the training is holistic. It's got nothing to do with just teaching them how to make a bag. It's got to do with how do you conduct yourself in the work environment? How do you deal with the work dynamic? Those are things that sometimes people are not taught and they learn to discover. But then after one is dealt with mental health and all that type of stuff. So we want to make the journey shorter for an individual to be able to fit in to a company like this per se. But you not having to do so much groundwork. Because for me as an African, I understand what they have kind of gone through to be able to have that conversation with them. Well, thank you for the work you're doing. I think it's amazing. The topic currently is COVID um, and (laughs) small business and COVID. Mm. (laughs) And how has that affected you, I think from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective in terms of how have you viewed life and your day-to-day differently being probably still in the middle of COVID. Absolutely. I think it's been difficult because, like I said to you, most of our business comes from the international side of things and not going to exhibitions has been really difficult because our 2019 strategy was to go to more trade uh, exhibitions. And of course, that couldn't happen. But I think we learned how to change things very quickly in terms of adjusting to what is the need right now. So I think we were one of the very first people to just start making masks. So we didn't sit at home for 21 days. We were back at work already because we were just like, this is what we need to do. We need to make masks. And I also think the international community helped us understand the need of masks because I had already been chatting to some of my clients and all that. And they were just like, you need to start making masks because that's what creative companies are doing here. Whereas here, people hadn't really started it. Most creative brands didn't want to do it because it's just not sexy. (laughs) You know, I've been selling all these beautiful things and now I'm selling masks. But then what we did was we just printed some of our own like really nice fabrics and it helped us regain our local following 
because they just also wanted to support us. And they hadn't bought from us in a while because they already have a one of each bag. So it was an interesting dynamic to then reconnect with the people who bought something from us maybe six years ago, but now they just want to buy a batch of masks. So, I mean, to be honest with you, masks helped us survive for that time. But then we had to quickly decide how are we going to continue with the training program? And we did manage to continue, but obviously implementing the protocols that one has to do. And we managed to train 40 people still last year, even during COVID. So we were quite grateful for being able to do that and nobody got sick. But in terms of a personal perspective, it's just about realizing that this work that we do is just still so important and it's more important now than ever. And we want to keep doing it. And also realizing that product needs to be attached to purpose. Because if we didn't have a purpose, people, I don't think, would have supported us in selling masks because they realized that we're a local business. And I really commend South African local consumers for realizing the need to support local businesses. I think they've really stepped up to the party and it's just incredible. I'm really grateful to be part of this creative community. But also one of the other key things was that as creative businesses, we also started talking to each other more, which sometimes doesn't happen when you're all busy. I think that's been amazing. It's almost like a pause on all the noise and all the busyness that happened. And I definitely, even just in our community, I said to Ian, it's amazing to see someone that can bake bread or someone that can make muffins or someone like I know the one lady, she works on an apple farm and she's the nurse there. So they had to work through the whole of COVID and she'd bring bags of apples to our street. She'd like drop a bag of apples in front of each Mm. one's home. I said to him, this has never happened before, you know. (laughs) We really like distributing the basics that we have. And Mm. people started having conversations across the road from your front door. And I think definitely that has happened in the small business community as well. I almost had a sense that people started becoming people again. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Which has been something that I've really valued that came out of COVID. COVID has obviously hit us hard. I think all over the world, people relate to the story of COVID not necessarily being a pretty one. Mm-hmm. And from a medical point of view, it's obviously been very stressful. From a humanity point of view, it's been sad. But a lot of stories I've heard, and I think people are almost like not necessarily open to sharing if there was beautiful stories within COVID. Because we feel that we're almost not allowed to tell beautiful stories in such a sad time. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that you actually had a very good financial year. So tell us a little bit about that, because I believe there's also encouragement that comes with beautiful stories. So 2019, we had the strategy to say that we wanted to really focus on trade shows and exhibitions and going out there and doing more marketing you know, going to knock on doors because we were so used to incoming business. And then obviously COVID hit and we were so worried because we were like, product is already quite challenging. So a lot of the conversations that I had with people were like, okay, so what does COVID feel like for you? And I was always saying that I've experienced more challenges than COVID. Like, I mean, in 2017, we bought an underperforming CMT or factory that we wanted to turn into a clothing company. And that failed and it was wasted money, but it was a lesson. And then that's how the training program came about, where we were like, how do we utilize these resources? But in 2020, I think that was almost like our product comeback, 
because we had some really incredible partnerships in terms of these specific brands having realized what we're doing from a purpose perspective. We managed to get an order from Amazon Web Services for custom-made bags that we did for them. And these bags were produced by some of our Learn Make So participants. Wow, interesting. So it just shows how things come together. And then we did a really interesting collaboration with Nando's Canada. They commissioned us to design some throws for 100 top A-list American celebrities. They couldn't tell us who these people were, but they just told us Drake and DJ Khaled. So they call them friends of Nando's. So basically they needed these to give them as gifts. So we did 100 of those blankets towards the end of the year. So a lot of very significant things happened during 2020, which really, I think, made us realize how powerful our brand is and how powerful the story is where I think we were always thinking, okay, how come we're not getting that much support from a local corporate perspective? You know, you'd hear of collaborations of Nando's with these designers. And I was always like, but why aren't they collaborating with us? And then we have Nando's Canada contacting us. These are also some of the learnings that sometimes in your own environment, maybe some things look quite normal, but then you have like international buyers who see the purpose of what you're doing and the need. So that was for us also really, really significant. And we also just really appreciated the fact that we did well in 2020. But like you were saying, sometimes you feel like it's a challenge for most people. So how can you, especially when you're heart-based, feel like how could you feel like you're thriving when everybody else isn't? But I also am really grateful, like, and I have to mention this, that being at the waterfront has been exceptional. We've received so much support from waterfront management in terms of being a landlord. So there hasn't only been like rental reliefs, but there's been support in a sense of how do we help you to survive but become better? You know, we've received like other support, like SMME advice and that kind of thing. So it's got to do with the environment and the people that are around you and them seeing the need. I am inspired to the core. Tamarai, what is the product that never saw the day of light? Tell us about that product. Is there a product? <laughs> mm-hmm. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the question. Did your mom ever create something that you just felt no one can ever see that? Um, it's not in line with our brand or, <laughs> or was the bags purely it? Hmm. I think one of the main things is that people have always said, okay, so is it just the foldover bags? Is that it? But we've just been so careful about anything that we make that we just haven't wanted to launch things because we just are making. So my mom has always had a very unique talent of designing functional items. I think that's her IP, but she doesn't know it. She's always designed things like if it were clothes, it would be stuff that's reversible. You could wear it once, but like in five different ways or something like that. So launching products from our side is something that takes so much time because she just doesn't create. If she's going to create something, you must know that you'll be able to sell it. I would then just come and say, okay, maybe change this or change that. What we've recently done is we've got the fold of a bag, but we have added embellishments on it. So we've been embroidering on the fabric patterns or beading following the fabric patterns. So I don't think we've created anything that's 
something that we wouldn't want to sell because you've never made anything ugly. No, in the studio. No, you can come check. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. The only thing I can say is we might have created something that's a little bit too trend forward because my mom is that way. My mom is also self-taught. Wow. She didn't go to any institute or any fashion school. She was only then taught to train others, so she's a certified trainer. But she's always designed things that are quite future forward. And then I'm just like, okay, that's nice, but maybe not now. <laughs> <laughs> also, we're very conscious of waste. Our business is literally a very minimal waste environment. So, yeah, we don't just create things. And there's literally, like, nearly up to zero waste because we reuse the fabric offcuts and all of that type of thing. Very considered approach. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Tamara, thanks so much for coming and thanks for sharing your story and sharing all those moments that other people can learn from. We really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful. If you're enjoying Behind the Edit, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and don't forget to leave a review. For those who are curious, Behind the Edit is part of a larger drive to uplift our local design industry and sister company to The Pretty Blog. If you'd like to follow what we're building, please visit thelocaledit.com and sign up to stay in the know. And as always, please keep spreading the local love on social media by following and tagging The Local Edit on Instagram. I'm Christine Mankies and you're listening to Behind the Edit.